Good morning, everyone. This is Jeffy Kennedy, author of Fantasy Romance and Romantic Fantasy. I'm here with my first cup of coffee. Mm. It's a lovely morning here in Santa Fe. In fact, I thought about uh, trying recording this outside on the east side of the house where it's um, nice and warm this time of year. With video, it will be interesting how I can pull that off, but um, I'm not giving up sitting outside so that you guys can have video. See, I do have my boundaries. Uh, but <laughs> I I looked to see it. It was a um, real feel of 14. So I decided even with the sun, that probably was going to compensate for that. So um, today is Friday. Yay! <laughs> Friday, February 26th. Last work day of the week, of the month. Um, of two... 2021 um you know i don't even know how much that you know so many people work weekends and with the pandemic we're all like on screwy schedules but i think friday always retains a particular charm regardless of our schedules don't you think i think so. we need we need magic days so before i go any further i will um discuss the earrings that I wore on Tuesday, I guess it was, and then forgot to say anything about. So as you can see, they're very sparkly, or if you are in video, you can see that they're very sparkly. So you can see them in my hair, which is less uh, full of tenebrous baths, <laughs> can't say them, tenebrous depths uh, since I got it trimmed and shaped. <laughs> it's so much better. It's, it was really starting to feel like a big, heavy mass to me. So these earrings are just uh, cheap little studs. Let's see if I can get this to focus on there. Not studs, um, just cheap little small danglies uh, with some yellow crystal beads and some rhinestones in them. Um, they're in a pretty swirly shape. And they're unusual because they are shades of yellow which I don't feel like there are that many earrings in those colors. So I wear them on the rare occasions that I wear yellow. And I like them because, for all of those reasons, but also because my stepdaughter gave them to me. Uh, she picked them out and gave them to me for, I don't remember, Christmas or a birthday. And uh, it was just a really thoughtful gift. You know, like some years it's the perforce gift and other years it's the one that she said oh i saw these at one of those booths in the mall and she said and they weren't expensive but i thought of you and i was like yay they were they were me and they came with a matching necklace that was really pretty too with similar swoops and the yellow and crystal beads and that fucker fell apart <laughs> It just, I think I only wore it a few times and I even tried to repair it and put it back together again. And it was just like, no, um, it was just, uh, I don't know. I envisioned it being like one of those mall stands. Um, I don't know if, if you have them where you are. Uh, I know the mall that she goes to, she lives in Denver. And so she goes to the, uh, Park Meadows mall, which is a fairly new mall, big one. And in the center, you know, like they have those big, big wide atriums with the shops on either side, sort of the embedded shops. But then down the center are all of these stalls with um, 
some are more permanent than others. I don't even know what the um, rental situation is there. You know, I mean, like, do those booth proprietors rent the stalls from the mall? Do, you know, like, is there any vetting system? I don't know. Um, sometimes it seems a little on the questionable side because the some of the people who run the booths are um, very aggressive and 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 often russian which <laughs> or at least eastern european i'm i'm not great with accents but um you know they will have that eastern european accent and they will they will come out you know like 20 feet from the stall even and press things on you and and i've had them actually like try to herd me back to the stall i think they're not actually allowed to touch you um because I think they would if they were allowed to, but they will um, like get in your way and, and be obnoxious. And I've bought things at some of those stalls. They, they have different stuff, you know, and it's, um, you know, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if it's made by indentured servants. <laughs> so you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You know, it's like you always want to say, so, so how did you come by these goods? And is the mall policing this? Uh, I should probably put in a caveat that I um, am casting no aspersions on the Park Meadows Mall. I have absolutely no idea. I'm sure it's all perfectly legit, but one wonders sometimes. So, um, Dark Wizard came out yesterday. Hooray. And it was a good release day. I think I've mentioned before, I often don't like release days. Uh, but yesterday was a good release day. It was... Um, people came out and said really nice things about the book. And so that was amazing and wonderful. Uh, I, I suspect I will get like either the love hate reaction on this book, but so far all the stuff I've been seeing is, is strong love and um, that again, very strong reactions. So that's great. It's really great to see. Uh, there is um a review on a little bit tart, a little bit sweet that did a very thorough discussion of how some of the elements might be difficult for some people. And so I'll probably add that somewhere um, because it is good. I don't really like to put trigger warnings on stuff, partly because I think they've been abused. Um, maybe abused is the wrong word. They've been used for purposes other than to warn people about content in a sincere way. Uh, you know, like a lot of the erotic stuff has started doing that same warning includes daddy play and may leave you with your eyeballs bulging out. You know, this kind of thing where it's like a fake warning that's meant to titillate. Uh, and I also think that the term trigger warning has come to be uh, really abused because there's a big difference between being bothered by something, being upset by something, being offended by something, and actually being triggered, having an actual PTSD trigger. Um, so it's all become so fraught that I don't really do it, but I do appreciate that there are people who are not me who can step back and say, you know, uh, some of the power dynamics might be really uncomfortable for people because in many ways, this is not a, a nice society in a dark wizard, excuse me. 
that that frothy latte uh, and drinking down that air um and I wanted that to be the case I mean that wasn't an accident I I wanted to explore a very fraught society. And those of you who have read Sorceress Moons will recognize certain themes that are similar. Uh, this is my sort of next exploration, next level of that. So, so yeah, I really appreciate the wonder, wonderful stuff people are saying. And um, so far, you know, like most of the people, uh, you know, that I'm hearing feedback from are all saying the same thing, that the world is so engrossing and that they come away with it haunted by uh, the characters in the world. And that's just the best compliment ever. So I'm happy, happy, happy. Um, and interestingly, interestingly to me, there were a whole lot of UK sales yesterday. Um, I think it's the wizard thing. David was like, why are so many people in the UK buying this book? All of a sudden, I'm like, I don't know. That's answer to Harry Potter. Um, I am not a turf. <laughs> I'm, for the record, I am not a turf. Um, yeah, we'll just, I guess I should probably, because I know my mother will later contact me and say, what's a turf? What are you talking about? Uh, maybe you know, mom. But a turf stands for trans-eliminating radical feminist, or maybe it's trans-exclusionary. They probably haven't gone to the step of eliminating, although some of them might want to. I think it's trans-exclusionary radical feminist. And uh, J.K. Rowling has uh, come out as being very strongly um, anti-trans, which is basically the reason why it's particular to radical feminists is it's this view of feminism that uh, women who were uh, identified at birth as male and later identify as female don't count as real women. I mean, I think that's what it boils down to. And, and you could go read people who are much more informed about it than I am, who say very smart things about it. But that's basically what it comes down to, that they feel like it is somehow... Um, eroding the power of the feminist movement to allow women who are trans into the movement. Like, and, the, and they also come up with all this really dorky stuff, you know, like that there are pacts between um, pubescent or adolescent uh, kids where they decide together to, to become, you know, to transition. Like, like it's a whim, like it's a social pressure thing. And and they talk about it that way, you know, and the the people that I do know who are trans or who are trans allies, you know, they're they're like, do they think that we don't find other people like us? You know, that we don't find people who are in a similar predicament to be our friends and support each other through something that's really incredibly difficult to deal with. It's um it's just a really weird slant on things. So anyway, many, many people are upset about J.K. Rowling and, uh, you know, it has really tainted their experience with Harry Potter, um, which is really too bad because it was so beloved. And I've heard a lot of Gen X people, I mean, Gen X, I, I know that it is our brand to be sarcastic, 
that's like from the beginning we were we were the snide ones um and i've seen the joke going around where it's like whenever a millennial complains about uh losing their faith in jk rowling and uh, the magic of Harry Potter that the Gen Xer will say, Oh, let me tell you about Orson Scott card. And, and while it's parallel, uh, because many of us loved Orson Scott card, I mean, Ender's game was a watershed for many of us. I read all of Orson Scott cards books and finding out that he was a, a raging homophobic was devastating and not being able to read him anymore. Um, was yeah it's just infuriating but i don't think for us that this matches anything like the people who grew up uh reading harry potter and feeling like that brought magic to their childhoods and opened up the world of fantasy to them to lose uh faith in jk rowling so i i do think that gen xers should knock that off because it was obnoxious about Orson Scott card, but it's nothing like, um, the disillusionment of, of, uh, well, of what they've gone through. So anyway, I don't even remember how I got onto this, except that I was saying that I'm not a turf, which I'm not, uh, moving on. Although I do consider myself to be a feminist. I don't know if I'm I mean, obviously I'm a feminist. I don't know what I'd have to do to be radical feminist. I've <laughs> Does anybody know? So since we're talking about definitions, I had been talking a bit yesterday about dark fantasy and Laura Darnell, hi Laura, uh, said she did some Googling and I did some similar Googling and she said that she decided it wasn't dark fantasy according to Google's definition. And I noticed that Google, uh, pulled the definition from this article and I don't remember who it was, someone who wrote it and decided like what the elements of dark fantasy were. Uh, and I know that that's where Google got their definition because I read the Google definition and then I went to like the first article that looked interesting and that exact paragraph was in the article, which is, this is how Google does. Right. And, but it is a little bit deceptive because there's nothing wrong with that article, but it was one person's opinion. Um, and for Google to pull it out and sort of put it as here's the definition. Uh, yeah, it's a short answer, but it's also one source, one opinion. And, and I notice this a lot with genre that, um, I mean, writers are always looking for think pieces essentially, right? We're always looking for interesting things to say that readers will also be interested in, um, you know, to expand our platforms and, you know, do the social media thing, you know, and, you know, more power to them. That's, you know, God bless all of us, right? I was going to go with bless your heart and I realized that that's too uh, barbed. So I don't know why I ended up with God bless all of us because universe bless all of us, whatever, uh, more power to everyone. I don't think that people shouldn't do that, but I do think that it causes problems because those, um, articles can be taken as definitive, whereas they're very subjective and they may have nothing at all to do. This is the important part is that for a writer to say, this is what I think are the elements of, of dark fantasy from looking at these different books and so forth. It may have absolutely nothing to do with what the 
traditional publishers think or what the agents think or what the bookstores think or what the book buyers for the bookstores think. And, and those are, I mean, a lot of the self-publishers will, you know, toss their hair and say, I don't care what they think because we're the ones defining the industry, which is arguably true. But it's important to recall that the driver of genre has long been the marketers and the booksellers, book buyers, booksellers, uh, brick and mortar, mainly because, and libraries, very important to remember libraries too, because they want to know where do I put this book on the bookshelf? If, if I have a, a client, a patron who wants a particular kind of book, what do we call it? And, and so then that kind of filters, it's this, um, end market driven, and I'm not a business person, so someone can correct me if I'm using the wrong terms, but it's, it's all of that is driven by the end, by the sales. And even self-publishers have to deal with things like picking their Amazon categories. Um, and Amazon has a ton more categories than the, than the BizAct codes. And I do not remember what BizAct stands for, B-I-S-A-C, but that's been used for a very, very long time to uh, code books for bookstores and libraries. And, you know, I, I think it's codified by the Library of Congress. So, so this is driven by the, the end result. And then it comes back through to the publishers, to the marketers of the publishers, and to the editors of the publishers who have to be able to say, this is what kind of book this is. So that, so that the funnel knows where it's going to go and so that they can do their profit and loss statements on you know how we think this book will sell we want to compare it to something else it goes into this particular category so the agents you know we go another step back the agents want to be able to tell the editors what it is so that they can sell it to them and they can say this is what you would put on your profit and loss statement so then the writers who are talking to their agents are being told they have to figure out what to tell their agents and they have to say, well, I think it's this. And their agent goes, no, 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 I think it's this or, oh, no, no, no. I think you should try to make it more this. All of that is a very long way of saying that you can write uh, an article about what you think are the elements of dark fantasy, but that may have absolutely nothing to do with the way uh, readers or booksellers are actually talking about it. And one comment I made because Laura said she thought mine was not dark fantasy, which I'm not arguing because I, I don't think that I write dark, but like some of the, um, like the article that I saw, the elements were supposed to be like that evil sometimes wins, um, that there aren't necessarily heroes, that there are horror elements. And I don't think that that's, necessarily true for a whole lot of what's being called dark fantasy these days. Uh, I think it also has to do with who's talking about it because romance readers see something as dark when it has, when it's, when it's not really light and happy. Whereas for a horror reader or a suspense reader or true crime reader, uh, the, what for them is dark is on a very different scale. 
So, so it's really going to depend. And I think that because I have so many people on the romance side reading my books, I think mine do end up seeming dark because they often take on um, intense issues, uh, often of, I mean, my original tagline when I first started writing fiction was love, power, and fairy tale endings. And I'm always interested in power dynamics. And so a lot of times that has to do with things that, you know, about what is what is true compliance, what is true um, consent, I guess I should say. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things that, you know, we talk about, you know, you have to have consent, but then there's a lot of gray areas that influence consent. And it's like, well, you know, pressure doesn't have to be violent pressure. There can be all sorts of pressure, which we, you know, wrestle with, with things like sexual harassment and so forth, that people can appear to be willing, but it's because they're feeling other sorts of pressures. So anyway, uh, I think that's where some of the dark stuff comes in, is wrestling with themes like that, whereas uh, light fantasy doesn't engage in more serious issues like that. That would be my guess. But don't quote me to Google on that. So um, time flies, right? So I'm going to sign off. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend. Uh, I will talk to you on Monday. Go out and do some fun things. And thank you all for the wonderful support on Dark Wizard. You all take care. Bye-bye. Oh, wait, I forgot. First Cup of Coffee is part of the Frolic Media Podcast Network, and you will find more podcasts you love at frolic.media slash podcasts. And now I will talk to you later. Take care. Bye-bye.